Well, welcome everybody to another episode of Fast Talk, your source for the science of endurance sports training. That's not right, but I'm going to let you say it. I never know what it is. I've only started just doing it. It's your source for the science of endurance sports performance. Oh my God. Okay. <laughs> hey, I know, I know we want to talk about the podcast, but you know what I want to talk about? I want to talk about that guy. I want to go there too. We got a Surly Grant. Grant, we have a Grant Holicky. Not only is he a Surly Grant Holicky this morning wearing a slipper, 17 degrees outside. Proud of you, buddy. <laughs> he is also, once again, the coach of current cyclocross national champion. Or I shouldn't say that. You've always been Eric's coach, but Eric, <laughs> that came <laughs> out wrong. fired me last year. I That's why I lost. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Uh, but hey, Eric Bruner, yeah. who is somebody near and dear to my life, all the way back, Boulder Junior Cycling. Grant, you've been coaching him for, for the years since, and he is one once again, cross-national champion. Yeah, yeah, it was pretty fun to watch. It was a super great race. Yeah, if you haven't seen that race, that is one to go watch. Cyclocross Nationals from this year. It had drama, it had performance, it, it had, had... physicality. Yeah, it, it, had it did, everything. in fact, have physicality. Yeah, it was like a hockey. Yeah. It, Trevor, you would love it. You too. It was the Canadian pretty version cool. of Cyclocross. Yeah, it was. <laughs> Am I wrong here? Are you also a national champion now? No. I thought you, you did the Masters. I did, but I got 10th. Oh, okay. There's a, there's a one in that. I, yeah. There we yeah. go. <laughs> and, and, I did not win, but... Uh, wait a minute. He's right. There's a one in that. There's a zero, and zero, zero is yeah. nothing. <laughs> so you, you, you won. No, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. One times zero. Actually, the uh, one of the guys I coach won my age group, Justin Morgan. Nice. So that and was... Uh, so you have two national champions. Yeah. Well, and and also, and, and I feel bad for leaving him out, but Scott Funston was second in the elite race, who yep. Grant also coaches. So. I don't coach him directly. Chris McGovern coaches him, but I work with oh, him really? on the team. Yeah. Oh God, screw that guy. <laughs> so wait a minute. Is Grant actually a good coach? Grant is a good coach. And if people are looking for coaching, then they can hit up either Grant or myself at foreverendurance.com. Just a little, little plug. I like it. Well done. I am going to say, you know, the showing up in flip-flops, always wearing a hat, you look like a coach. If you want the seat of the pants coach, you can go with Grant. If you want the well-put-together <laughs> coach, you can go with me. You get all of your options at foreverendurance.com. Uh, Rob, Rob and I may be the yin and yang here. Yeah. Rob walks in in his overcoat and his nice his Burberry-looking scarf. and his He looks put together. I look like I always look. This is balance. We are the balance in the universe. In the force? In the force. That is a good point, because mm -hmm. Rob is stylish. Yeah. I'm not. I was just saying that. I have no fashion sense whatsoever. I just, uh, I have figured out how to wear clothing that doesn't embarrass me. So the Rob and Griffin <laughs> that's, that's side of the standard. table yeah, we're crushing works it. out well. I, I think the other side of the table. It's just like garbage chic or... It's you know, true. It'd be chic. funny if this this if this had off white on it, then you would be really fashionable. I would be. You're right. Right. You're right. Trevor's like off white. What is? Yeah. So <laughs> all of you have a style. My style is if I was standing beside a wall, you would notice the wall. Your style is the shirts that you get gifted for Christmas. That is exactly that's it. That's true. No, I like the polka dots. Let's Thank you. not let's not diss the polka dots. But I will say I improved this year. I was Christmas shopping. I was in the Bay, which is the Canadian Macy's. Mm-hmm. And they had button-down shirts for $25. They were like 75% off. They were all flannel and fleece line. <laughs> yeah, so they were the ones that nobody else wanted, but I bought a bunch of them. 25 bucks. You can't go wrong. Why not? That is basically the core of any good fashion style. Yep. What's the cheapest? Isn't that, isn't that what we go for usually? How old are those jeans, Trevor? I feel like they're older than Griffin. Scarily, I think I bought these like. A I don't year know or two whether ago. that's an insult or a compliment to me, actually. 
I, it wasn't about you, Griffin. It was about <laughs> Jeans. Griffin, Griffin, not everything is about you. Oh, my God. I was just going with the youngest person in the room. So then that's a compliment. They are older than Griffin, younger than me. Perfect. Older than Griffin, yes. Yeah. So they're in between. So they're retro. They've so had time doing to come the math back. On they're Rob's age. <laughs> yeah, they're, my, they're my age. Perfect. Yay. Shall we actually talk about something here? Um, yeah, let's sure. podcasting's fun. Let's talk about yeah. training because this is the source. <laughs> oh, Grant is stripping. Like, I know you don't. We were di- uh, what? Di- what? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I your speak. outfit, but she I mean, can't even speak. I know. So speechless to try to get this train back on the tracks, which is how we always start the pilot. <laughs> We have a theme. It's January. It's relatively early January when this is going live. I think this goes live around January 12th. Most people just took the holidays. We all did the same thing. I'm not even going to tell you guys what I ate on Sunday. I I holidayed so hard this year. (sighs) Holidayed the crap out of it. Yeah, so did I. Mm -hmm. I Uh, won that national championship. I, I drove home for the airport on Sunday. I stopped at a gas station. When I got to my house, I looked at the wrappers and things sitting on my passenger seat. And I was just like, I've become everything I hate. (laughs) (laughs) For the guy who is really against like sugary foods, he really loves candy. Oh, I, this is like growing up, I was a candy fanatic. And that's always my issue. It's like when I say sugar is bad for you, don't eat it. It's not like I'm going, well, that's great because I hate sugar. I'm saying that going, I love sugar. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, I could, mm -hmm. when I was a kid, I'd buy like, Three bags of Skittles and mm-hmm. eat them in one sitting. Mm-hmm. So Dude, it's, Skittles it's are a the sacrifice. Worst. Skittles are the best. Well, yeah, mm. you know, depending on your point of view. Skittles you don't are like great. Skittles? I'm not one to talk. I'm hiding a box of peanut butter cap and crunch in my front seat so that Trevor doesn't see it. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't bring it in the office today. Sometimes you just need it. I made I good choices it. today. I stopped at Whole Foods and I got a banana and an apple because I forgot them at home. Yeah. Mm. So you went to Whole Foods to yeah. get your banana and your yeah, apple? I did. It was the most convenient on the way here. You're really living into that pea yeah. coat Damn, reputation right now. Vibe. My, my shadow as I was walking into that store was so on point. You look good. <laughs> so, Worst peak. part of when I go home is my dad is invested in a small chocolate company. So he doesn't make any money off of it, but what they send it's to called their Hershey's, investors not is, 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 no, it, it's a, it's a Canadian it's a good, company. It's a good chocolate company. But they send him free chocolate. So whenever I'm home, he has these stack of boxes that he gets for free. He's like, here, Trevor, have chocolates. There, there you go. Free. Have chocolates. Yeah. Hey, free and chocolate. I was going to say, the only, the only, you know, hmm. okay. Per, hey, let's talk about training. Let's, let's talk about, let's talk about right. training. What's your question? No, I don't want to do my, no, never no, do my I question I think Trevor's first. question yeah. should my go question first. My question first? Yeah. Always. Well, I don't have a question. No, no, no. You had a question. We voted your question off the island. Yes. That's right. That's why I no Grant longer have a question. It's very bitter. I'm not bitter necessarily. I let's, thought let's all just your questions were better. I was starting the countdown to start the show and I had to pause because you need to get out a few F bombs before did. we started. I did. That doesn't mean I'm upset necessarily. It's just there's things <laughs> that I needed to get out. What does that mean otherwise? Listen, that word, depending on how you say it, can mean a lot of different things. It's that is true. It could. I yeah. could have been exuberant. Robin Williams actually did a great comedy skit about all the things that word can mean. Mm-hmm. It's worth watching. Samuel Jackson narrated a book called Go the F*** to Sleep. Okay. Yes, so good. <laughs> Fast Talk Laboratories offers deep dives into your favorite training topics like intervals, polarized training, data analysis, and sports nutrition. Take a look now at our cycling-based training pathway. Now is the perfect time to see how to lay the perfect foundation for an awesome season. In our new guide to cycling-based training, experts Joe Friel, Dr. Steven Seiler, 
Brian Kohler, Dr. Annie Pruitt, and I show why good base training isn't just about riding endless miles. We share how to plan and structure your base season, how to monitor your efforts, and how to track your fitness gains so you start your next training phase with a strong aerobic engine. See more at fasttalklabs.com pathways. All right, my question, I'm going to read it. A lot of athletes let training slip over the holidays. I always personally consider January the start of true training for the season. What's your favorite workout approach to January? And this is for athletes that race or their season is kind of that March to September. So I know Grant talking about cross athletes, the answer is keep resting. So talking more about people involved in that road season. So who wants to answer this question first? I definitely have my thoughts. Well, I think it's a little bit hard because people's seasons are starting earlier and earlier and early now. And even masters racers in Colorado, they're traveling down to Arizona and doing Valley of the Sun or Tucson Cycling Classic or these races that are like February, yeah, mid-February. For my athletes, I tend to kind of suggest that you leave those races to the Californians and the Arizonans and like mm-hmm. they're going to come in mm-hmm. fit and they're going to come in flying. Super fast. Yeah. If you start your season in January here, I tend to advise a little mix of different things, maybe a little running, definitely get your strength work in, do those things because it's really hard to get in a ton of volume in Colorado in January. I agree. And in a lot of the country, it's hard to do that. I mean, there's places that it it works really, really well. But if it works really, really well, that's people that I would advise to take their break back in November, crank back up in December. But for a lot of us, yeah, we let it go. I let it go big time. And maybe not quite as well as Rob. This is why I'm wearing all baggy clothes to work today. I couldn't fit. Nothing else fit, Griffin. No, no. This is why I had to get an apple and a banana this morning. It's all that fits me right now. So, yeah, like I I tend to approach it with a little bit of a training mix that maybe includes some running, maybe includes some lifting, maybe includes some cross-country skiing, maybe even some downhill skiing. Just a little bit of everything keeps things light, keeps things fresh. And then as we move into those longer days of February, we start cranking back up a little more hours on the bike and try to take advantage of the sun. Yeah, for me, January is is oftentimes that rebirth, right? And and the hope is that people don't let themselves slip too bad in December so that you're not crawling out too deep of a hole. But I think that a lot of individuals, you know, they come into January and one of two things happen, or, or maybe both at the same time. They assume that their fitness is what it was six weeks ago when they kind of were last training hard. And they just dive right back into training, trying to do the exact same workloads, And ultimately, I think that that can be detrimental, right? Because that's so tiring when you're trying to do things that are now too hard because your FTP has has dropped by, I don't know, 5%, maybe more. So I think that starting out with testing is always really important in January. And if that's lactate testing, awesome. If that's some sort of FTP performance test, then that's great too. Which leads me to my second point. I think that people can be in January and they can say, my fitness is so bad. They can almost be afraid to train because... 
they don't want to see these numbers. They don't want to see these numbers that are lower than they should be, than are lower than they were before. And so I oftentimes write some workouts that are maybe a little bit lower intensity for people. Maybe what I do is I'll, I'll shorten the rest a little bit so that they're still getting a good workout, but I won't do it as a high a percent of their FTP as I normally would. Let's help build some confidence back. Let's get back in the consistency of training. I think January is a great month to be kicking things off, but races aren't necessarily won in January, right? So the perfect workout might not be uh, as important. So I got to give a different answer. What I love about that winter season, it, you know, we talked about some people do start racing in February. So really what we're talking about is you're a couple months away from when you consider your season starting. What do you do? And to me, the biggest thing is now about getting consistent. Mm -hmm. Particularly if you are on that start racing in March or April, you just had the holidays, you, you typically lose that consistency. You're going to have weeks where you're not training at all. And I think the biggest gains come from when you can just say, I'm going to do a couple good three, four week blocks where all I have to focus on is my training. Even in the season, you're going to have races and events where you go, training has to take second wheel to getting ready for that event. So you can't always be consistent about your training in season. So I love you hit January. We're now going to do two or three of these four-week blocks and do this nice build. I do agree with you that the intensity can really hurt. So I personally don't, well, there's two reasons to this, but I don't like hitting athletes with the really high intensity in January. One oh, reason I love is, it. I know you do. <laughs> I love this it. Is where we differ. Brutal. So I'll get my explanation for, for why I do more thresholdy work. One is the high intensity hurts. Second is, goes back to, we've talked about this on the show, and you look at the research, the higher the intensity of the work, the quicker you see the adaptations in the plateau. Like you do sprint work, you see the adaptations in a couple of weeks, and after like three, four weeks, you just don't see much after that. You do like Tabata-type work, you see most of the gains in about six weeks. When you're doing work around your anaerobic threshold, MLSS, whatever term you want to use, it's 10 to 14 weeks to see the gains. So I see a real benefit of doing that work in this phase where we got a couple months of training and we can build that. And yeah, there is that argument that we've had on the show of, is it different systems or is all this work hitting the same system as one system? You're just hitting it slightly different. That's a different conversation. Well, it is all the same system, but I agree with you and I'll, I'll tend to do, and I'm sorry to cut you off, Griffin. I know you have something to put in this, but I really want to get back at Trevor. <laughs> <laughs> I don't want to get between that. No, I, I agree with Trevor. And, and definitely I will do more tempo and threshold type work this time of year because you do need that time to build it in. The reason I like doing intensity year round is that it's not just physical. VO2 max is a gigantic zone. I will say this on repeat and people on this show will get sick of it, but that zone goes from 110% of threshold to max effort and it's all purple on your computer. That's ridiculous. There's so much nuance in that zone and there's so many different places to play around in that zone and things you feel in that zone. So I like that it's hard. Yes. I like that you can do something in January that's short, that's intense and you get off the bike and people feel like they did something. People really felt like they, you know, I got something done today. And mm -hmm. I think sometimes those base workouts, especially when they're on the trainer and they're a little bit shorter, sometimes you get off, you don't really feel like you did that much. So that's kind of why I like that intensity. But I won't argue with the fact that this is the time of year to get some of that 
LT and tempo work in, and it works really, really well. I would love to take this back. You said something a little bit ago about how the season is starting to creep earlier and earlier. And so my question is, A, why is that even happening? And B, (laughs) does that change the whole premise of the question of what to do in January? I think that it's really hard. I face this a lot. It just seems like a lot of the races that I like to do are in April. And then I have like this dearth of event through the middle of the summer. Dearth. Uh, you like that, huh? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and, no, and actually, it, <laughs> after that, I don't. Like, it's just one of those words that you don't like. Mm-mm. So yeah, I think it is hard, right? For the athlete, they're at the whim of the calendar, mm-hmm. right? In some regard. And I think that there's different types of athletes, right? There are athletes that are going to race the series that is local to them. And then there are athletes that kind of cherry pick maybe more marquee events, Right. And ultimately, I think the question is of the race promoters, like, why the heck are these events happening so early in the year now? Yeah. The athlete is at the whim of of the race. Well, around here, you do see it. There's not a whole lot in summer because it's hot. Right. And people don't want to put on races when it's super hot. But you're right. The super fun races around here are April and May. Mm -hmm. It's not just the heat. Another reason is. People aren't the people around. you make the money on is yeah. the masters riders and, and they vacation. The yeah, summer. they're not around. That's a good point. And I have always missed that a little bit, but I think you're right. And I don't know. I mean, that does bring us to a whole nother question is, you know, are we talking about that in January? Are we talking about that in December? And there's these big picture arguments about the calendar. I mean, this is why we moved cyclocross nationals to December because mm-hmm. everybody complained, oh, I can't train through the holidays, yeah. which to me, I won't get on my high horse, but it's ridiculous. You're preparing for a single one hour or 50 minute long master's race. How much do you really need to be doing? Like, give me a break and enjoy yourselves. It's not the end of the world to have a beer. This is, as we said, the coach of current cyclocross national champion. (laughs) But I want to come back to something that I think Trevor said, the streak. And I'm a big believer from a mental performance standpoint about the streak. That the whole point of a resolution or the whole point of getting back to something is getting back to the rhythm and back to the streak. Give yourself the three days in a row, the four days Mm -hmm. in a row, whatever that is. So creating a way that allows you to still be interested or if you're coming off a super hard off season like Rob did. And by hard, I mean, he like off season hard. I did. He was all in on his off season. December was... Yeah. And I did too. I weighed myself at the gym yesterday and I don't care too much about my weight. And it was little, yeah. you know, oh, crud muffins. I got to get going here a little bit. And and to me, that becomes about the streak. Okay. I, I did a run today and I, I'm mm. going to do this tomorrow and I'm going to ski hard on Saturday. It doesn't matter what those things are. It matters that you get something done on a regular basis. Because for most athletes, as soon as you're back in that streak, you're back in it you're going to get excited about it again. You, yep. And you're going to see this movement toward. And I think that's really where we need to get back to is instead of this rest running away from, let's get this movement toward. It's something I want to quickly address to, to Griffin's question. I think is really important for people to understand. I see people all the time that go to Valley of the Sun or go to these February races and go, I'm getting a leg up on the season. <laughs> you're not. <laughs> All you're doing is moving your season. You're yeah. starting it sooner, and you're going to start feeling stretched sooner. I remember when I was managing Team Rio Grande, we had this rider on the team who lived down in California, and he went to those early January races, and he was killing it. And he sent me this really excited email, go, look how well I'm racing right now. I'm going to be crushing it this season. 
And I sent him an email back that he didn't understand saying, <laughs> I'm really concerned. And sure enough, he crushed it in January and February. By the time Team Rio Grande went to their first race in March, he was already overtrained. And he barely went to a race that season. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that's what you have to be considerate of, right? If you have an early season, it's okay to start your season early. Just understand that a traditional later season probably isn't going to work right. out well for you. And as long as everything works together, I'm okay with people starting in February. But just don't expect to be good in the middle of the summer or you can expect to be good, but you have to split this up into three separate seasons. You're sure, going right. to be taking a week off in late May or early May if you're training in January. So, you know, we've talked about this a little bit more about how the athletes, and, and we talked about it with Joe Friel, about how athletes are having to peak over and over and over again or hold these peaks and how do they do it. This is one of the ways they're going to do it. Yeah, they're starting earlier. Yeah, maybe they're even ending later. But there's these breaks that are built in so that it's hard to do that super traditional long build-up periodization piece. Instead, you're hitting it. I'm really good here, and then I'm going to back off, and I'm going to take some rest. And I I will scream from the rooftops that – three, four, even six day to one week rest, man, they do not hurt you. They only help you and people just don't want to take them. So yeah, you can get cranking now, but just look for that week off somewhere down the road. So unless someone splits up multiple seasons, the actual landscape of the competition could change if people are front loading their season. And you can do that. Listen, like you can know if you're from California or Arizona that like I'm going to target value of the sun or I'm going to target one of these things because I have an opportunity to come in a leg up. So I'm going to do really well in some races. Don't target value of the sun. (laughs) For a variety of reasons. I've got a bias here. I I apologize. The organizers of the value of the sun are going to hear this and hate me, but I just don't like that race because everybody's like, I got to get a leg up. I'm going to show up. You know, particularly cat twos. And I'm going to get my upgrade and be a cat one by March. Yeah. Everybody shows up. Nobody's been at Peloton for six months. Yeah, it's sketchy. It's a crash fest. Yeah, it's sketchy. And it's nobody's fault. But when you look at your season, you may decide to target an early race because it suits you or it's good for you. Understand that then build in a break somewhere so that you can go to the next race that suits you. You can't hold an April peak. You can't hold a March peak. You sure can't hold a February peak for eight months. Mm -hmm. No, you can't. Last thing I will say to that, and then we'll move on to Rob's question. People, when we say this to people, they look at the pros and go, well, how do the pros do it? They race February to October. Couple answers to that. One is they're pros. They've been doing this a long time and they have a stamina and resistance that most people don't have. B, there's two types of pros. There is the domestique pro who really never peaks. They're just kind of 80%. 85% all the time, and their 85% is good enough to do some damage in a pro race. And they're just able to go to race to race to race, but they're never on top form. If you look at you know the guys that are trying to win the Tour de France or the big events like a Tade, you don't see Tade in the March races of February, or if he is, he's not doing much. Right, he's bundled up. Well, and I think that that's a great point, right? Oftentimes, people will look at somebody faster than them and assume that that person is always on their peak form and fitness because they're beating you. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing. 
they're just faster than you. (laughs) And oftentimes they are not trying that hard. They are not on their peak. I think what Zonhoven was this weekend, and I saw a quote from Vanderpool, and he demolished everyone in that race. And his quote was something like, I tried not to expend too much energy this race. He's just that much better. He is, trust me, he is not racing 100%. Right. But one of the things that I will definitely say is that I know we tend to look at this and go, I'm out of shape. I'm behind the eight ball. I'm all those things. And all those things may be true. But in my mind, it's not very hard to get an athlete to 90%. It's very hard to go from 90% to 100%. Mm -hmm. You can be very good at 90%. You can be competitive at 90%. You can use racecraft at 90%. And 90% is better than 110%. Absolutely. So remember that it doesn't take that long to get to 90%. I would argue you can get there in six weeks. You can get there in two months, no problem. It's that next leg up that takes us this long time or this period to get there. So you can look at yourself in January and go, I'm out of, I'm out of shape. I'm in this weird place where I'm like, I'm actually in decent shape, but I'm a little overweight. That's fine. It'll come off. I know how to get it off. I, I know how to do those things. But I'm not panicked. I don't get into a panic mode. I've had athletes that got sick. Everybody's getting sick this year. Mm-hmm. The respiratory stuff that's going around, you will get sick and you'll get knocked out for a week or two. Don't stress about it. It's going to be okay. We can get that back. You're not as far behind as you think you are. And it comes back very quickly. The top end might take a little longer. That's okay. But we can get there too. And that's always my goal with the base season. Yeah. When you come out of a successful base season, you should be able to hang to the end of the race with the people that you want to be competing with. It's just when the attacks start, you're going to have nothing to respond to that. And then we build the top end and then you're winning races. Yeah. Can we do this? Can we end this segment out on if you could only do one workout in January, what would it be? I can't have one workout because again, I'm, I, I believe in the polarized approach. So it's a lot of long, slow, and okay. then the threshold workout. The underlying assumption is that there is a majority of, of base zone two level work. That it, for me, it's the five by fives or the four by eights threshold work. And for everybody listening to, to describe that, Trevor's five by fives are like 90, 95% of FTP. Right around 100%, okay. 95 to 100. And then a short rest, five minutes on, one minute off, five yep. minutes on. So as opposed to a five by five that you could also do in a VO2 level where you're at 120%. Yeah, no, I don't touch that in the winter. Yeah. What would you do? I, like you, am more of a max aerobic power type of person. Um, but I will say this very much depends on, on the athlete that sure. I'm working with. And, uh, and yeah. this is not a universal suggestion. But I will say long max aerobic power, long VO2 stuff is really hard and painful in January. So I skip the five minute, the eight minute stuff. And uh, I'm a 30, 30 kind of guy. I think that that gets you up to that workload. It gets your legs used to dealing with that, but it doesn't have the stress on the system that holding that power straight for five or eight minutes will. Yeah. I love that. And I love 40, 20s Mm -hmm. for that same reason. Yeah. One of the things, and this will sound kind of odd that I don't want to ever get rid of in January is peak sprints. And we're not talking VO2 max work. I'm talking like all out, out of the five, saddle. 10 second yep. sprints, spread them out through a ride, do five, six, seven of them end a ride with them. And part of the reason I love them in January is your legs are actually kind of fresh. You're going to see some sweet numbers right. in there and not that, that excites people. That'll get you going. Even if you're not seeing those other, and all of a sudden you pop 1100 Watts and you're like, 
I'm a golden god. You get excited about the rest of the training. And there's a huge technical component to top-end sprinting. And if you can start working on it now, you have a better chance to get to that place with that really high cadence and that really, really 120, 130 sprinting out of the saddle. And that you can hold that because you're not necessarily going to be able to hold the top-end power, but you can hold the technical things that you've learned about producing top-end power. And by the way, you want to hit your best sprint power ever? Do it in like November and December when you're <laughs> yeah, out of shape. when you're barely riding the bike. And it feels great, though. You feel good about yourself. Yep. Griffin's queued up over here. She I know. wants to... I, I, uh, well, we just skipped over the, me because I'm not a pro I endurance didn't, athlete. I didn't ignore you. I looked right you at you. You look at this oh. and you're like, I want to know what workout here she's we go. doing. Let's um, do it, girl. Squats. Are my, wow. my January she in the goal. gym? I like I like it's a this primal functional movement. It benefits so many aspects of your physical health, and I now follow all of you on Strava. So I'm going to be watching you and mimicking you what go. you're doing. But my endurance goals are for September. We'll, I did we'll squats this morning. Uh, I got to say, go. you look at this and you go, "What donuts is he eating?" <laughs> <laughs> Which leads me to my question. Oh, it does. It's it a does. beautiful it segue. It does, doesn't it? Lady up. Lady up on that one. I don't know that that's the word that you're looking for. <laughs> teed you up. Teed you up. Is it teed you? Teed you up. You know, I get my expressions. Canadian. Funny, funny expressions. I will say, as as a quick aside, you know, we had family over our house for Christmas, and uh, it's been a long time since we've had like babies in the house. My mm-hmm. kids are eleven at this yeah. point, and my brother-in-law was like, "I'm going to go put Olivia down." And we, you know what she, he means, like to put her down for a nap, but yeah. it's just such an odd phrase of word that it, we all use because in a different context, it has a very different <laughs> meaning. Anyway, it was just like a little family I'm inside. Put the baby down. Exactly. It's about time. <laughs> Listeners, this is a great time of year to expand your training knowledge. Join Fast Talk Laboratories now for the best knowledge base of training science on topics like polarized training, intervals, data analysis, sports nutrition, physiology, and more. Join Fast Talk Labs today and push your thinking and your training to all new heights. See more at fasttalklabs.com slash join. Let's see. Woo, holidays. Um, I got on the scale, much like everybody else, and I looked at the number and I gasped, much like everybody else. And this isn't, I don't want to have a discussion, a deep discussion about the philosophy of weight loss, whether or not people need to lose weight. I am at a point right now where I believe that I am slightly above a healthy, optimal weight for me, to tell you the truth. This is not about becoming a skeleton to win the Tour de France. I need to put that caveat out there. But what I'm actually interested in, and because everybody is different, and for me, nutrition stuff is so individualized for people. I don't always think that there is one optimal thing. I want to hear from everybody, what practical tips or what practical actions do you include in your daily life to improve your nutrition, to improve your body composition? And why do you do those things for yourself? And my hope is that the listener can identify with somebody and say, oh God, I feel exactly the same way. Maybe that will work for me. Should we have the contest? I left at 162 pounds, 172 this morning. Wow. Okay. Really? Yeah, I'm, I'm about that. I'm about 10. 10 over. I'm about 10. That's better. I mean, I'm like six over. No, I'm about 10. And 10 is pretty normal for me. I think some yeah. of it, for whatever it's worth, I think some of it's that I was doing 20 push-ups a day all through. Yeah, dude, you're swole. <laughs> I don't know about that. But I do put on weight muscle fairly easily. Yeah, yeah. No, no doubt. 
And uh, I'm significantly under, so I'm going to prove it. Like, guys, I different. lost weight. Yeah. Uh, so no, I, I did. I, I went home and I was like, darn it. Like, I, I've <laughs> been it. trying. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, let's expand my question. I didn't want to go You can talk from this. the other side. Yeah. Too. I didn't want to go first on this, but I will lay something out there. The key to everybody in this room, whether you're underweight or overweight, is we got out of our routine. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right? You can just leave it very simply as routine. Somebody like Griffin who has to pay attention to what she eats to make sure she stays where she wants to stay because she's always anxious and she's like a you know scared little bird and <laughs> Trevor terrifies her. Back. And anytime she's in the office, she's just like tweaking. No. You know, yeah, that, that's, that's no, the way it goes. More like you walk in and I'm found giggling in a corner somewhere. <laughs> yeah, from all the actually, yeah. <laughs> Whatever it is, there's a metabolic, meta, me, metabolic rate that's nice and high. Getting back on point, that routine, if Griffin has to focus on the right amount of food at the right times in order to stay the weight she wants to stay at, that's just as much routine as myself making sure that I am eating oatmeal in the morning or not having the beer at night or whatever those things are, as much to me as they're not choices as they are habit and routine. And January is a time that we can get back to habit and routine. So for me, the kids are out of school. I don't even try anymore. No, I seriously, I don't try to hold my routine when everybody right. else around Can't me do it, man. is off it. It's hard. This is the time that I get to enjoy that and not have any guilt over that. So I can go and have a couple beers a night or go and do those things or eat differently in the morning or eat dessert because those things are social. You know, those aspects of what we do are social and they connect us to the people around us. And usually for me, I'm with family and I'm with those people that I really want to be with. Those are connecting pieces to those things. So I'm going to lean into them and I'm going to enjoy them. But then I get back to January and I look at things and I go, okay, kids are back in school. I can fall back into what is my routine. And that routine I know will drop the weight off that I need to get off. It will get me back to health and I can move forward. That was more insightful than I expected. Yeah, that was great. That was very good. Mm-hmm. This is why I don't ask questions anymore. I'll just sit here and, and give input <laughs> on yours. I was expecting a much surlier grant today. I'm never really surly. I think the habits is, is a great point. As long as there are no other underlying conditions that are Absolutely. right. Like that's, yep. that's the caveat. Well, you're the one that's going to think that way. Obviously, yeah. as well, you should, right? What are the underlying, right. you know, what are the medical pieces? What are the exactly. health pieces? And and you're absolutely right. And and I'm fortunate, right? I'm in a place where I don't have any underlying issues. I don't, there's a history of high blood pressure in the family. So I don't drink caffeine anymore unless it's a race day. And there's little things like that that I'll focus on, but I don't have to worry about these other pieces of the puzzle. So I can go and eat more sugar. For me, it's sugar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right, that's, it, that's it, it for it's me too. Added sugar. I made a shift years ago. I remember this that I went to natural peanut butter instead of all the sugar that's added in typical peanut butter, and I lost two pounds. Like mm-hmm. it's it's noticeable. Stop drinking Coke, and I lost weight. Oh yeah. And for me, I have these little promises to myself, and they're not necessarily the healthiest things. But on this day, when I know I've worked really, really hard, I'll have a ball of ice cream. You know, and it's it's that kind of stuff that's part of my routine. My routine is not living like a monk. It's hardly that. It's just knowing I don't drink on the night before my kids have school because I got to get up early and I got to do those things and I need to sleep well. And so then I'll have school, I'll have a beer. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'll have two. 
you know, I had to go chase Eric Bruner around for three hours on the bike. I'm going to have a bowl of ice cream because I'm probably under calorie <laughs> that, that point, anyway. Yeah. Right? You're done um, for. But that, all of those things, and even those little treats, even those little pieces are part of my routine. I've figured out a way to work them into my routine. So my routine feels good. Mm-hmm. It's not abstinence. It's not like I'm starving myself. It's just part of life and it rolls. Yeah. So I absolutely love this question to the point that, as you know, we're working on a book right now, and there's going to be multiple chapters in this book addressing this exact question. I absolutely love reading the research and, and thinking about this. And to your point about routine, I'll give you a little physiology behind this because I'm the same thing. And part of my routine when I'm not just at the weight I want to be at, but eating healthy, which is really important to me. To me, they're, they go hand in hand. If you are eating healthy, your body's going to find a good weight. Yeah. So part of my routine is eating a low glycemic load diet. So I'm never really spiking insulin. And when I'm eating a low glycemic load diet and I'm in a routine, you know, I have my cheat days. I might go over to Pearl Street and they got this great ice cream shop there. I'll have some ice cream, spike my insulin a little bit, but I'll go, hey, you know, I really enjoy that. Tomorrow I can get back to the routine. It's when you get out of the routine. So when I go home, I don't want to offend my mom. I eat a lot of her cooking. I am eating high glycemic load day after day. And there's a certain point and there is research on this. So here's the issue. Insulin is, it's kind of a, this catch 22 thing where eating a lot of sugar, eating a lot of high glycemic index or high glycemic load foods spikes insulin, but insulin increases hunger signals. Mm -hmm. So you're eating and you're getting hungrier and hungrier as you're eating. And there's further research showing that at a certain point, it impacts the part of your brain that is basically your control center, your willpower. Mm -hmm. And they have done research showing it literally shuts off your willpower. So I go home trying to eat healthy, but I'm getting these insulin spikes. I'm getting these insulin spikes. And there's just a certain point. It's four or five days in where I go to the cupboard. There's all my dad's free chocolates. Yeah. And I'm sitting there going, I shouldn't eat these. I'm saying that to myself as I'm slamming it on the shelf. You're saying it between bites. Yeah. (laughs) Like I will put down 10 chocolates. Yeah. 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 And go to bed with my heart racing and everything. I was going, why did I do that? Mm -hmm. I know. And there's an endorphin spike when you get sugar too. And that's something that you want and you crave and you want it over and over and over again. So there are these negative or positive feedback loops, however you want to word them. And like I said, and I I, I hear what you're saying about ice cream every once in a while, those things, that's why I've worked it into my routine. Like I can get to Friday and know I get to have a beer or I can get to Tuesday night and I'm going to have ice cream with sprinkles and I'm going to really enjoy it. And to me, that means that I've worked those endorphin rushes or those, you know, pleasure seeking moments into what I've done. And that way I can continue in perpetuity with it and it feels good. But at the same time, I know that when I go home, much like you're saying, Trevor, I'm just going to lean into it. I just know this is the way it's going to be. And it's going to be okay. I go back up to state New York. I'm eating chicken wings. I'm eating pizza. I'm eating really good burned dairy ice cream. I'm going to go down those roads because they're fun mm-hmm. and it's okay. Here's my counter. Here's my concern. Cause I used to be the same thing and it's the holidays. Let's let it go a little bit. I'll put on some weight. I know I'm going to lose it in January. I'm not worried. But as you know, I've got AFib. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, that, and this is back to what Griffin was mm-hmm. saying. Getting those insulin spikes down. So I yep. do not eat 
simple sugars anymore. Yeah. And my AFib was pretty much gone all, all fall. And that was my issue. I wasn't concerned about gaining the weight over the holidays, yep. but I noticed a couple of weeks into the holiday, sure enough, AFib was coming back. Right. And that's my concern. And this is, this is what exactly what Griffin was saying about the underlying issues. And, and I don't yep. have that many, so I don't need to worry about it, but many people do. And so you have to work that into how you make these choices. Well, and even some of those choices that you make with sugars, you know, if you can have healthy fats and fibers at the same time to just slow mm-hmm. down, right. you know, what's slow happening. Down the absorption, yeah, exactly. Right. So, Grant, something you said before, you don't do a program of abstinence, mm-hmm. right? And that and that really resonated with me. And you know, the example that I gave when I proposed this question was this: I'm a very hungry person. I'm pretty much hungry all the time. I make it home from bike rides by thinking about what I'm going to eat as soon as I walk in the door. I'm just hungry all the time. And for me, when I was trying to do more of an abstinence, eat the same stuff, but just eat less. I was always hungry. Mm -hmm. And that was a really bad place to be, right? Because then you're not enjoying your day to day. Then you're dieting. Then it's all the negative things that come across with dieting and weight loss and and all of those words. And so, you know, for me, what it became was how do I eat as much as possible, (laughs) right? But of lower caloric density foods. And so, Almost every night for dinner, I'll make an entire bag of frozen vegetables. Maybe it's broccoli one night, maybe it's something, you know, another night. And I'll eat that entire bag of vegetables prior to eating like the main more, you know, because we're cooking for the family. Who knows what it could be? It, It could be pasta. It could be anything like that. But by eating a large density of, or I shouldn't say a large density, a large volume of food like that, I'm able to eat less of the things that taste really good, less of the things that are just filled with cheese and and carbs and everything else, but still walk away from that meal feeling satiated, as opposed to just being like, I'm just going to eat a half a cup of pasta (laughs) and one meatball and be hungry within 30 seconds of walking away from the table. Yeah, and I also think there's a piece to this that you eat what you really like last, leave the meal with that taste in your mouth of the really, really good stuff. Mm-hmm. I mean, and this is straight psychology, right? Like one of the things that you're doing and you don't even know that you're doing is like, I do this all the time with vegetables. I get them out of the way mm-hmm. and I'll eat all of them first. Mm-hmm. Same idea, right? And then I can go and eat that Alfredo sauce that I made the other night that's really rich, but I'm leaving that meal going, oh, that was amazing. That I, I, I ate so well tonight. And maybe I didn't eat nearly as much of it as before. Mm -hmm. One last little thing that I do want to throw into this too is just very quickly about weight and what we see as our ideal individual weight. We really have to approach this the way you would approach any goal in life. They have to be realistic. Mm -hmm. And I think far too often, I remember when I was like this, when I was racing triathlon, I wanted to be 172 pounds. I'm never going to be 172 pounds. If I'm 180 to 182, I'm perfect for me. As soon as I went under 180, I was in 176, 175. I couldn't do the things that I needed to do. So maybe I'd go uphill faster, but I couldn't train. Mm -hmm. I couldn't perform. And dude, I can train like an animal at 188 
because I have all that excess and, and, and obviously I don't want that down the road, but make good choices about what you're establishing as a healthy weight for you and understand that. And the last thing I will say, and I've done this with athletes for years and years and years and years, the more you pay attention to it, the harder it's going to be. From a different perspective, you know, I am significantly underweight for myself at, at this point. And we did all the labs and tried to figure, we found like a couple of things that might've been contributing to it. But I feel like uh, if you've seen some of those hot ones episodes where people are really struggling, they're just like really trying to pack down those wings. That's me trying to get in my protein count every day with a point where it is such a mental, like the mental burden or load of trying to calculate, okay, how can I try to increase calorie. You get sick after a certain point and you can do protein shakes. You can, you have to pair it with carbs and fats and, and all of this at the same time. There's a real science to it. But if you are getting to the point, and this is one of the things for me, I mean, I try, I stopped all exercise for a few weeks because I'm going to get some pity weight. <laughs> I mean, I'm going to eat like <laughs> yeah. I'm going to stop working out and nothing. It didn't, it didn't, it didn't, work. didn't, didn't oh, work. And so, you know, I tried the other route where I'm just going to do some strength training. I'm going to increase my protein. I'm going to increase my carbs at the same time. I'm going to do all this. And the mental load of that, that stress of trying to make sure that I was doing all the time made that worse. Right. So for me, it's about sneaking things in, in addition to whatever I'm doing so that one, I'm trying not to stress about food or calories and protein because it just makes it worse. So I'll eat the things that I like. I don't, I try not to stress about it. I know that I can afford to gain a little bit of, if you want to call it unhealthy weight right now, do strength training as much as possible. I have a big endurance competition goal with some friends in, in September, but I'm, I don't want to train for that just yet because I can't handle sure. that on my body. So for me, it's strength and resistance training. It's protein. It's a lot of carbs. I will eat tons of pasta right now. I'm like, carbonara, you want me to throw in some egg yolk? Yep, 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 yep. yep. <laughs> and all of this, this type of meat, I will do it. My, mm -hmm. you know, blood pressure might go up in the interim, but I kind of don't care. It so. probably won't. So when I was racing full time, I was doing the calorie count thing. And it was pretty miserable. And look, I will say this. You can eat McDonald's all day. And if you're counting your calories, you can get down to your target weight. It's just going to be miserable and you're not healthy. So I go back to what I said earlier of best way to get to the right weight is to eat healthy. And Rob talked about eating lower calorie density. I just want to flip that around and say, if you want to simplify healthy eating down to the absolute basics, it's eating nutrient density, mm -hmm. making sure your foods have your nutrients. So I always love to point this out there. There's studies on pregnant women. They always joke about how pregnant women have these crazy cravings. Well, they looked into this, these different cravings that women would have. And whatever they were craving, that food would always be really high in a particular nutrient. And the women just intuitively understood this. And so they would crave it because they really needed that nutrient. So you really have to think of hunger signals are not an on-off switch. Your body is craving something. So let's say your body's craving B6 and you go and eat a McDonald's shake, your body's going to go, well, that's great. I'll store that. I still fat, want B6. But you give me what I need, <laughs> so I'm not going to turn the hunger signals off. Right. What vitamins in lasagna? Not a lot. <laughs> I was going to say, what's in the peanut butter cap and crunch that so, I was craving? Right. Well, that's <laughs> fortified, so it's not yeah. yeah. So you, you want to turn off the hunger signals, focus on nutrient density. And I'm doing this off memory, so I might get this slightly wrong, but there is actually a table showing the most nutrient-dense 
categories of food to the least. And I could always remember the top of it. I might get the bottom part a little bit off, but it basically goes most nutrient dense vegetables, then seafood, then fruits, then lean meats, then eggs, then legumes, rounding out the bottom three of the list. Now I can't always quite remember the order is milk or dairy, grain products. So your pastas, your breads, and bottom of the list is nuts and seeds. I'm going to take this back all the way to what I said at the beginning. And I think for everybody, everything you guys are saying, it all comes back to routine. If Griffin's going to get enough of the food in and enough of the calories in, she has to plan her meals, plan her snacks, plan what it is and hit the routine and know you're hitting the routine. It takes so much stress out of the equation. I'm going to prep for this is when my ride is and I'm going to eat lunch after this ride. I'm going to eat this snack so that I don't go into dinner having not eaten for six hours mm-hmm. and be starving and eat a giant meal, which our body is going to store away all that fat. And then I'm going to get done because as Trevor said, you can't turn off the hunger signals necessarily. And I still want sugar because I'm under calorie. So I'm going to go eat ice cream. Routine is everything. When do you eat? How much do you, it, it does, I don't even think it matters how much you eat. The regularity of eating, whether you're trying to gain weight or lose weight can have such an influence on what you're trying to do because you're not going through these big periods where you're getting under calorie and you're gorging yourself. So for me, always going to come back routine, 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 establish one that feels good, establish one that you like that you can hold on to and move forward with it from there. I feel like this conversation went a little bit more philosophical and nutrition science than I wanted. So I'm going to throw in a couple more tips that I was thinking of. And Grant, you really brought this to the forefront of my mind when you were just speaking. And that is, you pointed out, you have to be on your routine so you don't end up at the gym starving because you haven't eaten. This is another one of the sort of tips that I try to follow is even in times where I'm trying to lose weight, I still continue to eat Eat. throughout the day because what ends up happening is you're like, well, I'm going to skip lunch and then I'll have less calories. And you go for that ride and you're Mm -hmm. dead tired and you bonk out on that ride. So you get home and you eat a thousand calories of peanut butter or peanut butter Captain Crunch and things are now blowing out the window. Right. And because you stuff off the counter into your mouth. Exactly. Because you tried so hard in one direction. Trevor. No, like you told that story (laughs) about laying on the floor, knocking things off the counter and eating them. I will always remember that when I come back from a ride bonked. Yeah. So yeah, I, that's why I brought up the nutrient density. So when I was trading full time and eating a lot of high glycemic, low nutrient density foods, I was starving all the time. I couldn't go an hour without eating. When I eat a really nutrient-dense meal, I can go five, six hours and not even think about eating. Oh, my gosh. What's that life like? Yeah, I know. If I don't yeah. eat every half an hour, I turn into that gremlin from the movie, The Trolls, you oh, know? Oh, really? Nice. Was it like early 90s? Yeah, maybe. The gremlins Rising from the sewers. After midnight. Burr, mm. winter. The air is cold, but you're getting back to conditioning and looking to rev up your training. If you haven't already, now is a great time of year to reflect on the past season. Specifically, when it comes to data and recovery, two very important metrics in endurance sports. Visit Fast Talk Labs and take a look at our pathways on recovery and data analysis. These two in-depth guides can help you get the most from your off-season. See more at fasttalklabs.com pathways. All right. Well, we are at 55 minutes. This one's been going long, but we still have a great question from Griffin and we're going to cover it. So Griffin, take it away. Yes. So my question is, 
when an athlete is looking to try out a new sport, whether it's in addition to or they're shifting their focus, how does one set realistic expectations and make a proper investment of themselves into this new sport? And that could be a lot of things, right? That could be their mental, emotional investment into it. How much are they going to let their self-worth as an athlete ride on this new sport, right? Or are they swiping the Amex and getting all of the best gear right away? Are they completely switching their training plan for this? So that's my question. What's a good way to approach I would like to either add in or try a new sport. I think that when people are trying new things, I love it because there's this youthful vigor that takes people over, right? And they are so excited and that is so commendable. And it's always something that you want to encourage. You want to ride that wave because that helps build the love of the activity. And for me, I think in the beginning, a lot is about being supportive of people in any manner that you can. And and I'm okay with having some slightly outsized expectations. If somebody's like, I'm going to be cross-national champion like Eric Bruner, I'm going to bring his name up as many times as I can in this episode. He's coached by Grant Hollicky, if you didn't know. Maybe you're going to cut that down. But if they say, hey, I want to compete at nationals this year, It's like, okay, do you have some endurance background? Okay, we can work toward doing that if that really is your goal, right? I'm okay with encouraging people, not being like, you're a brand new cyclist. You're never going to make it there. That's 10 years down the line. I don't know, might not be. But one of the biggest things that I see is getting into sports, I think is really hard for people from an equipment standpoint, right? And we are, for the most part, cyclists in this room. and, And I've been a cyclist for a really long time, so it's hard for me to really understand this, but... I will. I recently got into this thing online. It's really nerdy. It's it's online car race driving called iRacing. And it's really equipment intensive as well. And for me, I went in and I bought the less expensive stuff, right? I bought used stuff. I tried to spend as little money as possible until I knew that I was in it for the long run because I wasn't out that much if I didn't like it after three months if I didn't have time. But I will say... When I upgraded from that beginner entry level stuff, I upgraded to end game sort of <laughs> sort of product. You know, okay, I'm yep. in it. I don't want to upgrade four times because ultimately that's more expensive. I know I want to do this. I'm going straight to the stuff I'm going to be happy with for the next five years. And I think that people ought to do that with cycling too. Start out as cheap as you can. Yeah. rent, I shouldn't, it's hard to rent a bike. You can rent bikes, borrow bikes, buy used bikes, go that direction. You don't need top of the line equipment to go out there and have fun. Make sure you love the sport and then invest your money. Yeah. A good example of that. I sometimes work with athletes to say, I want to try out time trialing. Time trialing is a very specific sport that you're either going to love or hate. And it's equipment intensive. I hate to say it. Equipment makes a big difference. Let's face it. The difference between slapping some aero bars on a regular road bike and a top TT bike, particularly when you're you're not a top time trialist, is pretty small. Oh, hold on. Wait, wait. Oh, Andy Prude, is that you on the phone? (laughs) (laughs) And I'm actually, Andy has said this to me. So my suggestion to people, if you want to try time trialing, Buy a used bike, put some aero bars on it, see if you like it before you make the investment in the big aero frame. Yeah. You know, this is interesting because for me, this comes back to the question of mine today that we cut 
I not bitter. Not at all. But, but he is these, working it into the episode. They're proud yeah. of you. <laughs> these are wonderful questions. But what I love about people trying new things is the risk. Mm-hmm. And that's what I love about it for myself, right? I think I've seen this happen multiple times over my sporting careers. I've gone and taken a risk and just tried something completely new. The beauty of that risk is that you have this improvement rate that's super fast. And it's really, really nice to see that huge improvement very quickly. It can be enthralling. It can be addictive to see that right away. But approaching anything new with realistic expectations is crucial. I'm not going to go from zero to 100. I'm going to go from zero to 20. And I love what you guys are saying about the equipment. Just get something that works. Just get in the door. Just start. And then, oh, I can buy this because it's going to make me feel even faster. Great. And then I can buy this because it's going to make me feel even faster. I feel like that's what triathlon used to be. Triathlon used to be people walking in and going, well, I got a pair of goggles. I got a, uh, you know, a, a sure. hybrid bike yeah. and I got a pair of running shoes. I'm going to give it a try. Mm-hmm. Then the next time it went to a 10 speed bike back in the day. And yeah. now you can spend hundreds of dollars on super shoes. If you want to, you can graduate up through these things as you get more interested or you get more dialed. And that's great. I love that. Griffin, something that you mentioned was defining your self-worth as an athlete. And I want to put this, Grant, I'm going to tie this with your risk situation. And I'm going to, I'm going to say something very clearly. Your self-worth has absolutely <laughs> yes. nothing Thank you. to do with how good you are, yes. with what event you do. Yeah. And a lot of people do tie these things together. I'm going to like you no more, no less. If you choose to be a parasailer, if you choose to run 100 miles and fail, I don't really care. Yeah. You know, more than anything, I think you can be proud of people for going through the process. You can be proud for the grit and the determination. But in all honesty, the results, in my opinion, don't matter. They don't matter. Your FTP doesn't uh, matter. I'm going to jump in on this because this is absolutely crucial at every level of the sport. Mm -hmm. This is one of the things that we talk about at the highest level of the sport. In order to have retention of Olympians, of world championships, if they are defining themselves as an athlete first, they will not last at the top end of the sport. They may be incredible for two or three years, but you're going to watch it happen over and over and over again. And you are going to see the people that define themselves as athlete first, like Lance Armstrong, make really poor choices in the things that they're choosing to do for that sport. Your self-worth is your self-worth. Your athletic endeavors are a piece of you and something that you get to express your personality through. They are not the definition of who you are or your personality. Well, to take that a step further, that's where I was going to go with my answer to this, which is you read articles about somebody who is, for example, a really high-level triathlete, and then they go and try a mountain bike race and win it, and you go, oh, wow, you know, look at that. Completely different sport, and they're really high-level. We write articles about that because that's not the norm. That's not what generally happens. So if you have been performing in one particular discipline in sport at a high level and you make a a switch, expect that you're not going to be high level in whatever you're taking on. But that's part of the fun to me. So for example, when I was at my best with road cycling, there was a certain point where I'm like, I'm not getting any better. So there's a joy of going and taking something else on and going, I'm not going to be nearly as high a level For example, cyclocross, I completely suck. (laughs) But then you get that joy again of 
growing, building, improving. And that's, to me, the biggest reason to, to make a switch. The, the growth, the learning is the fun part. See, this makes me so giddy because I looked at you and I said that phrase because your self-worth has to be defined internally. It has to be internally sourced. But that that's one thing as I've, you know, I've been here for however many months now. And one thing that I feel like I've witnessed as I've kind of been exposed to a variety of athletes and perspectives and coaching perspectives, not necessarily anyone in the room, but when people have talked about, oh, I went to try this other sport or how people have recovered from defeat in their primary sport, it's been hard to not notice that some really entangle their self-worth with their success or how much they're investing. Like if they don't have the best gear right away to start, I feel like some feel like they are not worthy then to show up at the start line. And so Mm -hmm. I'm so happy that all of you picked up on that because I wanted to see if I leave this there, will someone touch this? Well, and and it's incumbent upon those of us who are in the sport to welcome those people that are coming in the door. To set that example. Mm -hmm. And, And I think when you're at a high level in a sport, whether it's a coach or an athlete, we need to be stewards of that sport. We need to be people that if we can pull anybody into the sport of cycling, we don't know where the next great athlete is going to come from. And especially on the women's side where athletes hit their peak and hit their stride at late thirties, 40 years old, can we please lower the barrier of entry Mm -hmm. to this for people to allow them to feel like they belong, allow them to feel like it's a safe space. And we're going to then enhance every aspect of our sport from every level all the way up to the very, very top. Griffin, what is your September event that you have alluded to? So, and this goes to take risks, but set realistic expectations for yourself. Myself and a group of friends, I'd what's called the rat race. Are you familiar with these? Yeah. It's some type of length of an endurance event that happens in a variety of locations all over the world. So it could be a five or six day event that happens in Croatia or a one to two day event that happens in Scotland and a variety of other locations. Iceland, they're the most majestic views and they're typically multi-sports. So the one that we're looking at doing is hundred miles, maybe a hundred kilometers. I can't remember how they are measuring it, but there's cycling, trail running, and then you kayak for a couple miles as well. And you can either go hard and do it all in one day, or you can split it up into two days and you camp in between. There's all these logistics. And so a group of us are like, well, the two day is something that's probably achievable for us because the way they kind of measure it out. But I've never cycled that long in my life. I mean, after moving here from Hawaii and then starting with this company, I had to buy a new bike. And I was like, well, I don't know if I'm going to like mountain biking more or this. I mean, I suspect that I will. So I bought some six, $700 hybrid mountain bike, and that's going to be what I train on and I can rent when I get over there. So for me, I am setting up a new training for myself because I never really did endurance sports. I was always a team sport type of person. And so this is great. It's a different type of relationship with yourself. If, if you are doing it with a team or a buddy, this particular race, you have to stay within a certain distance of them to yep. stay qualified, which I think is really neat. But when you're training in a different state from someone else, you don't really know mm-hmm. your pace. So that's what I'm training for. Go, awesome. Going back to the land of my people. Yeah, I love it. And I think that events like this, they're almost perfect for this brand new risk-taking yeah. situation, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. 
because your success in events like this does not come from being a specialist in a sport. The best bike rider in the world is not going to do well in this race. And ultimately, here's the thing. What ends up happening is your teammate's not as good of a bike rider as you are, so you end up riding slow, and then you can't paddle a kayak to save your life, right? Mm -hmm. And so your success is going to come from dabbling in all sorts of things. That is ultimately what's going to improve your experience and your performance and everything else. So I think that it's really interesting Uh, And I'm excited for you. I can't wait to hear more about it. Thanks. That's where my joy comes in. I love, I grew up on the water or water sports anyway. So the kayaking part, I'm like, get me, put more, more, put more miles there. Then, you know, elsewhere. And ultimately you can be, you know, I think that the other thing about this too, is that oftentimes these adventure races have teams, right? A group of people. And it's nice when different people are maybe a little bit more of a specialist, more more knowledgeable in one area where you can be a mentor, Mm -hmm. you know, maybe they know more about biking than you do. Great. You can learn from them and you know more about kayaking than they do, vice versa. Yeah. So can I uh, hire a cycling coach through your company? Do you guys know any? Do you know any? Uh, I know a guy that coaches Eric Berner, (laughs) but not... But not Scott Funston. So uh, I know that no, guy too, the, actually. That guy's in the company too. So we're, we're sorted there. Yes, you can hire somebody. And as we were talking about earlier, it's nothing better than beginner athletes. It's so much fun to coach beginner athletes. Yeah. And it sounds like for the female comment you just made, I'm about to enter my prime in the next You're going to hit it, man. You're yeah. going to hit it. From an endurance point of view, there is so much upside in the late 30s for female athletes. That's the first time someone has told me recently in my 30s that I have so much ahead of me. And <laughs> something behind <laughs> You do. You you do. Something isn't you. expiring. They're like, no, there is so much hope for you now. This is when things begin. Oh, great. Look, if your aspirations would be a football player, yeah, sorry. Yeah, they may be over. Or, or a top-level sprinter. It, they it, may be over. But Dirt's athlete? Cornerback. Decades. So on this note, I got to share a quick story with you from the holidays because I've been getting more and more into running. You know, that's exactly what we're talking about. Try something different. Grant's just shaking oh. his head. <laughs> I've, I've actually really started. I used to no, hate it. I'm I like it really too, starting yeah. to enjoy it. Yeah. And I've said I'm a really slow runner. So over the holidays, I was out for a run. I'm like, oh, I'm doing a good pace. <laughs> like I'm on pace for my best 10K ever, which I got. And I was so excited. And then I, I got together for dinner with my nephew who just ran a marathon. And I'm like, dude, I ran my best 10K ever. He's like, how fast did you go? I'm like, 54 minutes. And he looks at me and goes, that's not fast. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, but it's fast for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Similar, when I was in Lake Placid, uh, you know Lake Placid, right? You've been to Lake Placid. I was uh, friends with Lowell Bailey, who eventually became um, biathlon world champion. His sponsor had switched from Atomic to Rosignol, so he had a basement full of like World Cup level Atomic stuff. And he was like, hey, I can set you up. And so he gave me an amazing pair of skis that had world championship inspection sticker on it. And I show up at Mount Van Hovenberg, the Olympic venue, fall on my face trying to put the skis on, you know, because the glide is so good. I get out there and I feel like I am crushing it. The wind is coursing through my hair. And I get back and I brag to Melissa. I was like, I just skated 10K in this time. And she just looked at me in deadpan. She's like, you could have run faster than that. (laughs) And it was like, oh God, I'm bad at this sport. (laughs) And that's okay because that makes it fun, right? Oh man, yeah, I love that. And and I think it's a great point to end on. We were all beginners at some point. Mm -hmm. Yep. Every single one of us in every sport we've ever done or tried, we were all beginners at some point. And we had those people in our lives that supported that. 
we had those feelings that supported that and it became something that we moved through and we got to express joy and express fun within. And it's really important that all of us kind of foster that in other people. I think it's really cool what you're doing. And I think it's cool what whatever anybody is out there trying to do, because that risk and that chance that you're taking, you're just going to find out so much about yourself by doing it. And that's that's what sport's about. Thanks. I really appreciate that. I'm pumped. Does this mean you supporting me will mean that you're going to bring me haggis at the next podcast episode? What? Haggis? Haggis? Oh, because it's Scotland. Mm-hmm. Mm. I think, I don't think haggis is nearly as important as like people are going to be speaking with a Scottish accent. There needs to be a Duolingo for a Scottish <laughs> accent, even yeah. though it's not a second exactly. language. It's a language you can understand if you can understand the accent. Kind of, sort of, yeah. maybe. Yeah, you're screwed. You're going to need a Scottish translator. All, all my family can do the accent because we are Scottish, and that's the only accent I can't do. <laughs> it, it's like I could do a thick Russian accent. I can do all these other accents. My French is even. But you asked me, again, to give the accent of my own like mother tongue, and I can't do it. No. I can't even do a Canadian accent. I was born with No, one. you, <laughs> no, you can't. You do, the, you do yeah, a Canadian yeah. accent. Oh, no, I, went to, <laughs> I go to Canada, and everybody's trying is like, Oh, you're American, right? Because you have an American accent. It's well, so sad. I see that. I can see that. I, I'm going to Tabor, Czech Republic, mm-hmm. for world championships. And this is the home of my people. Are you Czech? Czech? I'm Czech. Yes. Really? My, yeah. You, you're going to tell them how to pronounce your last name yeah, for real? My, well, my last. Holicky. No. Holicky. <laughs> Holicky is the correct way to pronounce Holicky. It's, it's Grant Stibar. Holicky. Holicky. Got to remember this. And, and just my father is, we're actually Bohemian. So my dad's entire side of the family is bohemian. If my grandmother was alive, she'd be slapping me silly to say that I'm Czech because bohemia. We can go into the history lesson. This makes sense. Yeah. Now I get it. Yeah. But I get to go to Czech. I'm really excited. That's exciting. That's awesome. That's so awesome. Classic venue for Cross Worlds, I will say. My last name is Connor. And the correct way of pronouncing it, anytime I order food at a restaurant is apparently O'Connor's. <laughs> that's, is that the restaurant you're at, O'Connor's? That's, that's a great... Whenever I order food and they ask for my name, I tell them Trevor Connor, and then they start yelling, Kevin O'Connor. Kevin O'Connor. And Listen, I'm like, how did you get that? You should open a Canadian restaurant. Wait, was that the kid in Home Alone? Named, I was just thinking this. Named O'Connor's, and they'll serve fine Canadian cuisine. What is Canadian cuisine? Poutine. Just poutine. poutine. Everywhere, just poutine. I did go to the Canada Pavilion at Epcot. We went to the restaurant to eat the Canadian food. <laughs> we looked at the menu and I'm like, I've never had a single one of these things <laughs> ever. I was always wondering what Canadian food is, but poutine is high on Basically that list. Basically poutine. Poutine. All right, Griffin, you want to take us out? And the rule on the potluck, you can't read it. Have you been doing it? She has been I doing it. I haven't been listening. Sorry. Let's see if she can remember. Guys, I don't know how to close out a potluck. That I remember was another episode, episode of Fast Talk. Starts with, that was another episode of Fast Talk. Keep it going. That was another episode of, I don't know what the fuck that was. Kelly will beep it. You can okay. say fuck. It's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Just no, ask Chris Case. No, you can't. Wait, and then what do I say? That was another episode of- The, the thoughts and opinions expressed. On this, on this episode are those of the individual. Into the mic. Oh my God. I Into was just, the mic. I, okay. That was another episode of Fast Talk. The opinions and perspectives expressed on this episode are that 
solely of the contributors and not of Fast Talk or Fast Talk Labs. And really of no value. <laughs> <laughs> Please visit our, you're the socials person, you're pushing this. I know, I'm excited, but I'm nervous right now, guys. You're all staring at me. Why are you doing this? Because it's a thick sweater <laughs> and it's warm back here and the lights are making I'm, me sweat. I'm feeling a little stinky, not gonna lie. Um, Be sure to leave us a rating and a review. To learn more about Fast Talk and Fast Talk Labs, please check out our website at fasttalklaboratories.com. Except it's fasttalklabs.com. Did I just say Fast Talk Laboratories? Yes, yeah. you did. I can't spell laboratories, so labs. I Yeah, thank you. Fasttalklabs.com. I don't want to do this. This is making me nervous. You're doing it. I don't like You're it. You're doing it. No, I want to Take stop. a risk, Griffin. Take a risk. Griffin, let's just be clear. If you didn't write on the potluck, we would kill that and then make you do it oh my wrong. God. <laughs> Kelly, don't let any of this see the light of day. Okay. To be coached by the coach of national champion, Eric Bruner, you can visit <laughs> foreverendurance.com. Can For I just record this? Grant Holicky, Griffin McBath. Well, Rob you should Pickles. just keep it going. I'm Trevor Connor. Thanks for listening. <laughs>